Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Greetings, friends. I'm Mariquita Guerrera, and we are joined today by Emily Henry, the number one New York Times bestselling author of People We Meet on Vacation and Beach Read, and most recently, Book Lovers, which was published May 3rd. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. Yeah, we're so happy. Um, Would you tell us a little bit about your new book? Sure. So Book Lovers is the story of Nora Stevens, who is an uptight, ambitious, semi-cutthroat literary agent who lives in New York City. And she's kind of got her life down to a science. She's a very organized person. (laughs) So she knows what she likes. She knows what she needs. She thinks, um, but her love life keeps derailing in this same very specific way, which is that even though she's dating men who are perfect for her on paper, they always break up with her for someone who is her polar opposite. Specifically, like four times in a row, her boyfriends have been sent out of town for business. And while there have fallen in love with, you know, small town locals, like daughters of innkeepers and cupcake makers and all of that. And, you know, they uproot their whole lives and relocate and suddenly they're ranchers in Montana or whatever. And Nora doesn't really get what's going on, but her younger sister Libby is a huge romance reader. And she thinks that Nora has just been going about dating all wrong and she needs to have her own small town transformational love story where she gets out of New York and meets like a carpenter or like a local vet or something. And Nora doesn't agree at all really, but she loves her little sister and there's been some strain there. So she agrees to take this month long trip to Sunshine Falls, North Carolina, this little hamlet outside of Asheville with Libby for a full month. And while they're there, they're going to complete Libby's sort of like bucket list of small town romance novel tropes and activities. And Nora is going to at least try maybe even going on a date with someone while she's there and getting out of her own usual pool, I suppose. And that would all be great, except for she keeps running into her nemesis from back in the city, Charlie Lastra, who is this prickly opinionated editor who she had a very bad encounter with two years earlier and just does not like him at all and has no idea what he would be doing here ruining her trip. And so she kind of wants to get to the bottom of that. And she wants to get to the bottom of what's going on in her relationship with her sister. And from there, the book goes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This was honestly one of the funniest books I've read in a really, really long time. Thank you. I was laughing. One of my friends one time told me that watching me read a book is like watching dinner theater, but not being able to hear what's (laughs) happening, you know, and like, I could not stop laughing. I wanted to share so many of the jokes, but they take, they like take some likes. They like are instantly like inside jokes. Right. Exactly. That's the only kind of joke I think I know how to write. It requires a lot of setup, (laughs) multiple scenes building toward this one little joke. They just like, and they keep coming back to like, I, one of my favorite pieces was when uh, Nora was saying, well, I actually read to my, to my boss when she's having a bad day, I read big, big foot's big feet. Bigfoot erotica. I just died. I couldn't. It was too much. It was hilarious. I really, (laughs) we've all been there, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that joke, like 
Oh, it comes back so many times and every single time it's a surprise and it's hilarious. Oh, thank you. And I also love that, like, even though this is a romance novel, the main catalyst isn't like Nora's desire for a relationship or the love of a partner. It's her love and concern for her sister. Right. Why'd you choose that as a motivating factor? Well, I just didn't think that it worked for Nora's character. I don't think, you know, she, she knows who she is so clearly. I mean, there are things she definitely needs to work out still, or there wouldn't be a book, but on a lot of levels, she actually does understand herself and her needs and what she wants out of life. And so I, I just couldn't really see Nora thinking that going to a small town, like that wouldn't be worth it to her because that would be a trade-off. She's saying, you know, my boy, my ex-boyfriends have done this where they've gone to San Antonio or, you know, just places outside of New York and fallen in love and changed their whole lives. But like, that's not what I want. Like, I don't want a love that requires me to give up everything. I just kind of want a partner who's in my current life that I love with me. Um, And I think I just knew that was right for her character, but I also was watching some of my single friends get to that point in their like Tinder date from hell, like era where they finally were like, you know what? My last three partners have really sucked and I'm finally happy in my life. And why would I ever change that for anyone who doesn't improve my current life? Like if my life is going to be less good (laughs) than it is now, that's not a person that I have time or energy for. And I think that's like a really healthy place to come at dating. And I, I just, yeah, I knew Nora, like she wants a partner, but she is not a romantic on that level where she's like, I want a love that will, you know, disrupt everything about my life and who I am. Like she just wants someone who gets her and who, who, who improves what she's already built for herself. Yeah. She doesn't seem to fulfill that sort of like romantic novel trope of like, I, you know, once I fall in love, I'll get married and it'll be happily ever after. She's sort of like, no, I'm fulfilled already, actually. Um, And that's part of uh, what's really fascinating about her character, because you don't see that a whole lot. And she talks in the book about the different, um, the tightrope that like women have to walk and how they get punished for even existing within the dichotomy that they're expected to inhabit. You know, the things that we think are so great in men um, are seen as, you know, a detriment in women. Nobody, I think anybody listening to this podcast is going to be like, what? Yeah. First time (laughs) I'm hearing of it. (laughs) And then their eyes are opened and the veil is lifted and everything is horrible from here on after. They're like, shit, I wish I didn't know. (laughs) Sorry for ruining people's days. Um, (laughs) But it's real tough uh, just to inhabit a female body in this world. It's Um, bleak out there. (laughs) It's so bad. It's so bad. Oh, the dating app that you used in in the book too is hilarious her date with Blake where yeah. she has to keep saying to him I don't cook I don't cook and he's like what about catfish like he just like yeah, right right well you know I I met my spouse before I had ever been on online dating apps and so I was spared like the joy and misery of that but I do feel like I mean I had literal pages in a notebook where I like texted a bunch of friends and was like, tell me about the worst dates you've ever been on and wrote them down with their permission for something else that I want to do eventually, where it was like, I need to have a list of like all these very 
like these dates that are so bad that you think they would have to be fictional, but they like definitely did happen to someone. And I mean, the number one complaint I would hear from my friends is like, um, specifically like my straight friends who are women, like trying to date men, just feel, and you know, not to generalize, whatever we all know going on dates and being like, he didn't ask me a single question or like, he didn't listen. He didn't, it was, you know, just so weird where it's like this audition but feeling like they don't actually want to know anything about you. They're just sort of like, you know, they've got their own little checklist. And I know that's sort of how everyone operates, but just that feeling of like, why, why am I even here? But, you know, I, I really like to take the things that in real life are really frustrating and make them really funny because I think I'm the kind of person where if something bad happens, but there is sort of a funny slant to it, like I notice that immediately. And a lot of my best friends are that way too. Like something terrible will happen and the jokes won't wait like a full day. It'll be like, we are all joking about this very bad thing that happened to you. That's how we deal with this. And that's definitely how Nora is too. And I think that's why it was especially fun to put her in such a just fucking awful date because I knew she would just be like, I know this is funny. I hate it. Yeah, she was like outside of her comfort zone, but really good. Both she and Libby like had this ability to sort of look at this like really like some of the most bizarre and uncomfortable and weird circumstances and just turn them into real points of comedy. Like, yeah, well, and I was talking to someone yesterday who asked me, you know, if Jane Austen had been like a big influence. And I don't know if I'd thought about it that actively, but my favorite thing about Jane Austen novels, like the, the love stories are fun and cool, but. I just love how she is so observant of human nature and of like society and all of, like the weird performances people put on and, and all of that. And she really like goes in pretty hard, but she like, she knows what's funny. You know, she knows what's funny about this like very weird world that we all take so seriously. And I think that's always a delight when you meet someone who can immediately notice what's hilarious about any situation. Yeah, that's a lot um, of a dynamic to to your book, you know, especially. And it it I think it opens up the genre too to people that might ordinarily be uncomfortable with the idea of like a romance book. You know, I know yeah. there's been a lot of work being done recently or a lot of discussion being done recently about how uh, romance books aren't books you need to hide in the closet right. and read, you know. Yeah. There's just like a lot of misogyny around oh for sure for sure and it's funny because I grew up in that culture and I didn't understand that that was misogyny I just knew like oh it's like shameful for some reason or like that says something about the woman who's reading it and it's not good and it's so interesting to reading historical romance and realizing how old and deep-seated those ideas are it's like a woman should be willing to have sex with her husband whenever she wants, but if she wants it, that's a problem. And, you know, that, that probably means there's something wrong with her and she is spiritually corrupt and whatever. And, you know, um, just the idea too, of like not teaching women to care about or expect pleasure is just like misogyny, but also it feels like such like laziness based misogyny where it's like, just tell them it never feels good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's really, you know, I was like a late to romance reader and it just changed my life for the better in so many ways. And like, it is the best compliment to me 
of any compliment I could get when somebody tells me that my books opened the door to them to like the larger romance genre. Cause I, I do feel like with Beach Read, especially we were like kind of trying to like sneak romance <laughs> novels into people's hands who wouldn't normally pick one up. And I do think, you know, it's also the last couple of years have been so heinous <laughs> that like people are especially looking for something with a guaranteed happy ending, but it really feels like um, people are like realizing what joy there is to be had and what power there is to be had in the romance genre. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, there are so many offerings now in that genre. Your books, I, I think probably were one of the first books that I read uh, in the romance genre since I was like a teenager, Wow, you know, and like it, they're truly very light. They're effervescent, yeah. but they're like, captivating and um and like I keep saying hilarious and the characters are dynamic um so it it um it really makes you sit down as a reader and kind of examine the prejudice you might have had before you know and like oh okay like where did this come from and I feel like that's such an important thing to allow um us to do as humans is to like you know examine our own growth and like if you're going to do it, like reading a book that's like real sexy, like, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Thank you. That is really a huge, huge compliment. Um, that makes me really happy. And you know, like, that's the other thing is I think that there was this assumption that because these books were sexy, like the writing probably isn't that important. And it's like, you know, it, 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 there doesn't need to be a story. It's like a mailman shows up at the door, her milkman shows up at the door and the rest is history. So reading romance and realizing, wow, there are a lot of phenomenal writers out there and they could write anything. And in many cases, they do write multiple things and use pen names for one or the other. Um, but re- reading their romance novels and realizing like, yeah, some of my, my favorite writers on a prose level are writing romance, or at least that's one thing they do. Um, and I, I mean, I think, like I said, I'm newer to the romance readership and definitely newer as like a romance writer. And so like, I am like a writer first, but romance is just what I'm very excited about right now. So that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Have you ever considered um, including uh, like a, because all your, all your narratives seem to be like a heterosexual romance. Yeah. Have you ever considered including like queer characters? Yeah, for sure. You know, I, yeah. And I get that question from readers too, who I know would really love it, but there has been, you know, the evolving conversation of like, who should be telling those stories. And I, you know, I don't speak openly about my identity or sexuality or anything like that. And I'm not really like willing to. Um, And so I don't know. I, I, I hope that I, I hope that someday it feels like that makes sense. But right now I'm just like happy to lift up the people who are doing that really, really well, who I'm very excited about. Um, I think Casey McQuiston, like obviously they're on top of the world right now. Um, But that's like a person who I'm always going to for those shout outs. And yeah, but definitely like, you know, there's like always queer side characters in my books, but that also is its own like exhausting thing as like, you know, for queer readers where it's like, you want that front and center couple um to look like you so we'll see um I've got lots of books in me so hopefully (laughs) (laughs) you know I whatever route you take I do hope that you keep writing books because they're quite delightful you know and um and I and I agree with you I think it's really good to 
to use your platform to lift up other writers as well. Casey McQuiston is one of my favorites. Yeah. Well. Yeah. So much sweetness and emotional generosity. And I, I feel like Casey is another really good example of someone who captured a lot of, you know, existing romance readers, but also a ton of people who never necessarily had read romance because what they're, what they're doing is just so, I don't know. There's so much found family. There's so much humor. I, I feel like it's, it's kind of doing the same thing where it's like trying to to have that wider commercial appeal to people who haven't done romance before, but like the romance readers are also giddy over it. For sure. Back to your book though. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, some of the things that I really liked about um, your portrayal of Nora is that she is like the world's best auntie, you know, uh, she, yeah. she isn't um, falling into that other trope where she's wanting to have children and like her, you know, she's feeling that pressure of her biological clock. She's so happy to spend time with her nieces and to be present for them and to provide that relief for their parents so they can like have a moment. And that's another, that's another facet of uh, being a supporting woman in this world that, that isn't showcased very often either in books. And those folks are so important in our lives. Yeah. I mean, my, my sister-in-law, one of the, I admire so much about her, but one of the things I've always admired about her is from the time we met when we were both like much younger. Um, she always, she always knew she didn't want to have kids. And now like when she's around our friends, babies, like she is obsessed and loves them and is so good with them, but it hasn't changed that for her. She's like, I like my life. I, I just don't feel called to do that. I don't really want to be pregnant. I don't really want to give birth and I don't really want to raise a kid. So that just kind of like knocks out every, every um, concern there. And yeah, it is weird. I feel like if you're showing a child-free woman in any kind of story media, it's like, oftentimes if you're showing them being good with kids, the implication is see, like they actually do want them or they actually would be a great parent. And, you know, I know there are people out there who, who have, um, their own like trauma and, and backstory and history that that makes them afraid to have kids. And then later that that changes for them and they're ready. That happens too. But we see that story plenty, I feel like. And we just don't really see the other story where it's like this woman knew what she wanted and she was right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Book lovers uh, really does take the time to take a character that normally would have all these um, attributes given to them to show how they're like a frigid, Right. you know, uncaring, cold person and rounds out that character and lets them have their full backstory and lets them be a full person. And just like, I mean, I really hope that it helps a lot of folks feel seen. Me too. I mean, I really wanted this book to do two things. And the first was I just wanted it to be like the comfort read that you would feel like you could reread because the plot <laughs> didn't maybe matter as much as just the setting and the characters and the coziness of it. And then that was the other thing. Like I really wanted readers to come away and, and not have just gotten the opposite message of like, oh, this is the right kind of woman. We've been lied to and, and Nora is the right kind of woman, but to come away from it and be like, oh, it's actually just totally fine <laughs> to be whoever you are. Like Libby is fine. Nora is fine. Um, Charlie's mother, Sally is fine. Like everybody is just fine. <laughs> like do what you want for yourself. There isn't a right way to be a, a woman. And I, again, like, I feel like that's just this huge holdover from like Victorian ideals in Western culture where it's like, I, I struggle with some of that. Like, this is such a, 
a shallow, stupid example, but when I go to a friend's house and their house is really clean and, and it's so perfectly decorated and it's cozy and it smells good, I have this instinctive reaction where I'm like, I should be doing that. Like, I should be able to do that. Why can't I do that? Um, why is my house a mess? Why do I not like care about doing the dishes right away? Like, why am I not sure how to make a gallery wall, whatever? <laughs> and it's just this, these weird little things where it's like a step away from me thinking I should be really good at um, embroidery or like walking, <laughs> taking a turn about the room. Yeah. And it's so weird how when you logically know all that stuff is not good and not right for you, you still feel it kind of firing up in yourself and I feel like story is a really good way to counteract that and to practice seeing the world through a different lens. Definitely. Nora's ambition and like the way that she's unapologetic about her ambition is really beautiful. And it's, it, it, it just, I'm trying to think of like how to, how to describe exactly how it makes me feel, yeah. but like, I've just, I really appreciate it, you know? And I, and I hope that other folks reading it really appreciate it too. Because yeah. a lot of times all you see about women like that is that they're bitches. Right. And that's the thing. That was where the whole book came from because, you know, you, I, I, I love the kinds of stories that I'm sort of teasing with book lovers. Like, I love that. I love that storyline of the fish out of water who learns to trade in her high heels and like, I don't know, like camping, whatever. That's fun. <laughs> but again, when you see it over and over and over again, you do start to think like, okay, if we're seeing this story, but we're not seeing the other version, we're like the, you know, the country lamb. I, is that, I don't even know if that's a saying country lamb goes to the city and they're like, wow, I want to work at Cosmo, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um, if we're not ever seeing that story, it does start to feel like, okay, there's messaging in this. It's not saying this was this one character's arc because it happens over and over and over again in these stories that I do love, it starts to feel like there is a right and wrong way to be a woman. And these, these attributes that we're talking about are a shorthand. We're, we're telling you, we don't need to spend a lot of time with this character on screen because you're seeing her high heels. She mentioned she gets Botox. She loves eating salad. She answers the phone at inopportune times. Now you know she's bad. <laughs> she's yeah. materialistic. And usually those characters have other things that actually are bad about them. Like they're very rude to their employees or whatever, but, but all of those other details being reused over and over and over again really does feel like a shorthand where we're saying these things are how, you know, someone is materialistic and shallow and callous and cruel. And I instantly wanted to take that character and reverse engineer her to figure out like the reason why she would even feel this way about these things, because it's just to me, like people just aren't formed in a vacuum. If, if you love high heels, like there's some logic behind it. Like, I don't know. That's a very small detail, but it's like, I don't know. I just, curiosity is what makes me a reader and it's definitely what makes me a writer. And so I just wanted, yeah, to take that character and see like what actually makes her tick because it's not just like full-fledged sociopathy. No, no. It really validates lots of other ways of being, which is important. And also high heels are real pretty. I like them. Yeah. Same. Especially if you're going somewhere where you don't even really have to walk. It's like, yeah. it's just like earrings for your feet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, we're coming to the end of our time, but I did want to say once again, thank you so much. This book was delightful. It was sexy. It was funny. The characters were great. I appreciate 
I feel seen by Libby um, putting hike on the bucket list and then like <laughs> worth it question mark. I'm definitely a, is it worth it to hike yeah. kind of person. So uh, really all the way through, cannot recommend it enough. Thank you oh, so are, much. Are you working on anything else? Oh, I am. And I, I can't say much about it, but I do feel like with every book that I write, there is something that feels sort of unanswered to me because it's like, okay, I'm focusing on this story, but then new things kind of pop up within that story. And so there are things about my next adult rom-com that'll be out next summer that I feel like will make sense as a response or reaction to book lovers. So I'm excited to share more about it when I'm allowed to. Excellent. Well, I'm really looking forward to next summer now. Thank you. (laughs) Would you like to share any social media or where folks can find you online? Sure. You can find me on Instagram at, at, at Emily Henry writes. That's how you say that. And you can also sign up for my newsletter there. It's called my grocery list, but it is not strictly groceries. <laughs> it's going to be, um, you know, my Instagram is basically just where I recommend books. So that's a great place to get new books for your TBR. And I'll just be doing that like a little bit more in depth, probably in my newsletter as well. Fantastic. Oh, I'm Mariquita Guerrera, and you can find me on Instagram at O underscore Murray. Thanks so much uh, for joining us, Emily. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And thanks so much for listening to us have this wonderful conversation, folks. We will talk to you next time. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for Brownie Points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. well-read woman is a dangerous creature, creature. Hey, where are you shopping for Pride Month accessories? Skip the rainbow washing at those big box stores and get your Pride gear from a small trans-owned business instead. We're partnering with MyPrideStore.net this June to spread the love for our LGBTQIA family. My Pride Store was founded by Andrea Saunders, who began this endeavor as a way to pay for her transition. Turns out what she thought was good insurance actually had a trans exclusion clause, so she had to pay out of pocket for her gender-affirming procedures. What started as a simple button shop on Etsy has grown to include all kinds of Pride-related products for your home and your closet. Make My Pride Store your Pride Store by going to MyPrideStore.net. Shipping is free in the U.S., over $40. That's MyPrideStore.net. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. 
And right now you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.